The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 63, 7 through 9, which can be found on page 745 in the Pew Bibles. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised. According to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel. According to his compassion and many kindnesses, he said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament passage this morning is Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. You can find that on page 1205 of the Pew Bibles. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sin of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and Happy New Year, um, and also Merry Christmas, because uh, it's still Christmas around here. Um, for those of you who might be new to the church year, or the church liturgical calendar, um, Christmas lasts for 12 days for us, um, and it makes uh, things always feel a little bit awkward, because most of the world has moved on, but uh, the church lingers here for a bit. Um, so if you're wondering why we're still singing Christmas carols, that is why. Um, next week, we'll start a new season um, of Epiphany. Um, and through uh, Advent and Christmas, we have been preaching out of Isaiah, the lectionary text from Isaiah. Um, so we're going to talk about the Isaiah text again today. And next week, we're going to start a, um, a series about the realized kingdom, 
Like we talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Like Jesus came inaugurating God's kingdom. The kingdom is here fully. Uh, and also we're waiting for it to be fulfilled. So we talk about it's here now and it's not yet here. So we're going to spend some time during the season of Epiphany talking about like, in what ways is it here? What does that even mean? Um, and we're going to figure out the answer to that question before next week somehow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> sort of. Um, anyway, this week we're in this lovely little text in Isaiah, um, verses 7 through 9 of Isaiah 63. And if you are listening as it was read this morning, or if you have your Bibles open to it, um, it's, you know, it's a little meditation on the praise of God, or that's what it's, or on, <laughs> on the kindness of God. It seems like a praise psalm. But if you continue reading for the rest of the chapter and through the next chapter, this, it's actually the beginning of a lament prayer. Um, so it actually looks quite different. Sometimes the makers of the lectionary um, can be accused of choosing the nice passage in the context of some difficult things and sort of skipping over the difficult things. Um, but it's a really like, I mean, it is in itself a nice meditation on the kindness of God. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many things that he has done for Israel according to his compassion and kindnesses. And many kindnesses. I like that. Those, uh, I'm going I'm to get off track. Let's just stick to the text. Um, it, is, it is clear that the author knows that God is kind. And yet, as you continue reading, much of this prayer is lament, a crying out against God, pleading to God for why things are the way they are, um, sometimes in confusion, sometimes in anger, sometimes even blaming God for Israel's situation. Um, a lot of scholars think that this text was written sometime after the temple was destroyed when, and after the exile when a small group of Israelites came back um, from exile and stood in what was Jerusalem, what was the temple. So verse 64, or chapter 64, verse 10 says, even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors, ancestors praised you has been burned with fire. All we treasured lies in ruins. This is deep grief. All we treasured lies in ruins. And the writer cries out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He says, oh, look to us, we pray, for we are all your people. And I think my first kind of gut response to laments in scriptures is something like fear. Um, I don't know if you can identify with that. I'm not exactly sure why. I think, I think it has something to do with like, I want my life in God to be like an upward trajectory with no setbacks, um, no bumps in the road. I want there to be like a right way to do it so that I can ensure that I can escape all my uncertainty and discomfort, my pain, my own failings. And it seems like if there are these pained prayers in Scripture, then, I, then it's like, well, no, you can't get away from all of that. It's going to stay. 
um, almost feels like a, like I don't want to know that it's there. Um, but if I look at like the actual reality of my life instead of the imagined ideal that I like to hold on to, these texts become an incredible comfort instead. They become, because like my real and actual experience of the world is that these moments are there. There are times of doubt. There are times of terrible confusion. There are times of depression, right? Life is hard. The, the Hebrews text says like to set those free who lived in, in bondage their fear of death. Sometimes I think like it's not death that I'm afraid of, it's life that stings. The pain and confusion of being human doesn't go away. And the reality of it is that there are seasons when it is especially present to us. Um, for, for a lot of people, maybe a lot of you, Christmas is one of those seasons. You know, our culture tells us that we are supposed to be happy at this time, right? And there's lots to be happy about. You know, we bake and we sing and we give gifts and we get together with family and friends. But also, like, for exactly those same reasons, the grief is highlighted. Right? Chairs that should hold our lost loved ones are just so glaringly empty. Our strained relationships are especially strained, and we have to get together. <laughs> Loneliness is especially lonely. For some of us, it's just the season, right? You're dragged down by the grayness that hangs over us, and you like sit in front of your light and hope that things will feel better. And sometimes when there's no actual tangible reason for the grief, you just feel bad. That feels worse, like you're doing something wrong. Right? When everything around is so happy, how can you, how can you be sad for no reason? It's just confusing and painful, right? When everybody around is working so hard to be jolly. Um, in seasons like that, when things are hard, and when it feels just like the truest thing is the hardness, the presence of lament in scripture says to us, it's okay. It's okay. You can expect this. The life of faith isn't just a little bit happier every day. Right? Look, it's right here in Scripture. This is part of what it means to be in God's story in this world. And it's an incredible comfort. Actually, St. John of the Cross says that certain kinds of suffering are actually necessary for the Christian life. Um, He's talking about, he wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. I'm sure some of you have read it and lots of you have heard people talk about it. Um, a dark night of the soul is almost like a depression, like a despair. Um, it's not quite the same thing, but I think it is tough to tell them apart. When your prayers seem dry and lifeless, when like all the things that people say to you that should be comforting aren't, 
when you seem like your spiritual life is like you must be going backwards, you must be moving away from God, or God seems nowhere present. But St. John says, God puts us in these dark nights because it is the only way that God can free us. And, you know, I read the first half of this book the last time I was at the Hermitage um, on retreat because I was feeling myself in one of these dry seasons and was kind of flailing around, despairing about it, and the dark night of the soul just happened to be in my room, um, which I thought might be a gift from God, so I read the first half of it while I was there. Uh, And turns out it was an enormous gift to me, um, mostly because St. John makes a really good case for why we need these these times of suffering, why we need these moments when things seem bleak. Um, He talks about all these different things that can only be cured in this way. So like one example, he says that there's a kind of spiritual pride that creeps up on Christians when everything is going well. Um, Like we start to think that maybe we're just extra awesome, and that's why. Uh, A dark night, getting stuck in this confusion and uncertainty that we do not understand and we don't know why it's there and God seems far off, it will for sure heal you of that kind of illusion. And in the end, when you come out of it, you are freer for having gone through it. Um, I was also grateful to read his book because uh, he gives some advice about how to just walk through those dark times. Um, He basically says like, you know, he wrote a long time ago so his language is not quite like this, but he basically says like, don't freak out and keep praying. And even if you think your prayers are going nowhere, even if all you can do is sit still and focus on the fact that God is present, just do that. And he says, God is more present to you in times like this than ever. Even though you can't sense it then, it is God who has made you not able to sense it. Um, Over time, I think I've been through a number of these, and you know, there's way more to his dark night of the soul that I'm not talking about, but I think I've gone through a number of seasons like this. And over time, you learn to see that this kind of painful, um, these painful moments can be as much part of the kindness of God as the bright ones. And we learn to go through these spaces patiently rather than frantically. Um, A huge part of Israel's um, worship was memory, was remembering what God had done, the, time, the things that God has brought us through, the things that we, um, that God had brought their people through. And you find this injunction to remember through the Old Testament. Remember, remember, remember. Um, and memory of God's kindness, in some ways, I think, is the reason that lament exists. The people would not cry out to God if there wasn't some semblance of trust there already. If we did not know that there was some goodness to cry out to, we would not cry out. It is the beginning of our lament. We are only raw with people we trust, including God. God's kindness is the beginning of our lament, and lament also helps us to remember God's kindness. Even just that these pained prayers are welcomed. Right? I think of um, kings who would just murder people who spoke up against them. 
dictators who just would not stand it, or CEOs even, <laughs> maybe not murder, but fire. Um, you know, I, like this, this prayer, this person who prays is blaming God for Israel's unfaithfulness in spaces. Like it seems kind of like asking this question, like, yeah, but, I mean, it's a question that I'm sure many of you have asked before. Look, why don't you just make us faithful? Can't you do that? The prayer says, like, why do you harden our hearts so that we turn away from you? We just stop, stop it. And instead of rejecting these words as sacrilegious, God made them part of God's word to us. Now, that is a kindness that I do not understand, but I am so grateful for it. The lovely thing about um, our few verses is that it seems that, or one of the lovely things, is that it seems that part of God's commitment to God's people is empathy. Part of what God um, commits to us. Verse 9 says, in all their distress, he too was distressed. In response to making them his people, to making Israel his people, it says, in all their distress, he too was distressed. Part of the way that we, part of the way that we depend on God in difficult times is to bring our pain to God. To allow that to be present in our relationship with God. And we do it also together. Like, not just as individuals, but together as a body. Um, you know, these texts, these lament texts, um, whether in the Psalms or here, many of them were used in corporate worship. They're not, they're not just like someone's prayer journal, though some of them may be that also. Uh, but people lamented together. But you cannot... God has given us one another and often shows up in our love for one another. Like that is often the way that God cares for God's people is through other people's faithfulness and obedience. But you will not, um, if you want to receive that, you've got to let yourself be known. You have to tell people that you're hurting and that's scary like, you can try to hold back your grief because you don't want to bring other people down or because you're scared of how they might react, but you will suffer more for your silence, particularly if you are suffering with fear and shame. Those things blossom in the darkness. They just grow and grow. Not to mention... Um, the people around you are not given the honor of being able to show God's love to you. It is a gift. Your pain is a gift to our community, but you have to offer it. Like these laments in scripture, right? Someone bears their soul and we all benefit from it. And then we all also receive the opportunity to care for one another. It is God's kindness in so many ways that can carry us through these tough periods. Sometimes that comes from others and sometimes that comes from um, our own memory of what God has done. 
Um, I was really struggling this week. Um, I was sick for a lot of days, and then and I was exhausted from Christmas, and there were just people <laughs> everywhere. Um, and my faith felt kind of like empty, brittle. Um, and Tony and I had a long conversation about like, how do you preach from this place? Um, I went to this library in a suburb of Milwaukee to try to do some sermon work, um, thinking like, how do I do this? And I spent a few hours, I spent my few hours that I had there praying and reading, reading through this lament and finding actually that many of my prayers were prayed in it. Um, And as part of my prep, because the text says, you know, tell of the kindness of God, uh, I made a list of the things that I could think of that, were, that felt like God's kindnesses specifically to me. Um, some of them were easy to remember, like my kids are such a clear joy. Uh, some of them are moments of prayer where God seemed to speak particularly. Some are words from a friend or a meal shared. Many of them, though, are fruits, fruit of darker times, a season of depression that softened hard parts of me. The hard work of forgiveness that turned out to just be beautiful. Um, one time I remembered what, that I wrote down on my list uh, was when I was deciding, this is a while ago, but I was deciding whether I should get back together with Tony because we had broken up for about a year. Um, This is before we were married. Um, (laughs) And I knew that getting getting back together probably meant that we would get married. And I was terrified. Um, Because our relationship, we'd been together for two years, and it was hard. Um, And I prayed and prayed that God would show me what to do. You know, I'd had lots of clear leading for things before, like going to seminary and going into my undergrad, like all sorts of things where I felt like I kind of know, I think what I'm supposed to do. Um, But this was just like silence. I couldn't even confuse my own voice with God. There was just nothing. And I remember in my frustration lamenting to someone that God wasn't answering my prayers and it seemed like was refusing to. Um... And she, I think, so wisely said, like, why do you think that God would not give you an answer? And in that moment, I knew. God wanted me to choose. And maybe that sounds silly, um, but I've been told, to do, told what to do my whole life, like, often angrily, and it had crushed me. And here is this moment, this huge decision into my life, and God's refusal to speak became this incredible mercy. It made me think of the woman um, who came to Jesus for healing in the temple. She had been bent over for 18 years, unable to stand up. And it felt like in that moment, Jesus was saying to me, it's okay, you can stand up straight. Do not be afraid. You can walk through life. As I went through all these memories, um, God met me in the library. (laughs) Um, I've been struggling with anxiety for months, and I've said that a couple of times up here, I think. 
um, and maybe it's still around or it might come back, I don't know, but for the last two day, a few days, I have had lodged in my chest in the same place where I hold my anxiety, this settled sense of the kindness of God. In my sermon prep, I was like, I don't even want to write anything down. I just somehow want to communicate this, whatever is in my chest. I just, how can I give that to you? It feels a little awkward to tell you all of this, but like also the text says like, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord and God was really kind to me. <laughs> so like it felt dishonest kind of to not tell you. Um, but I want to invite you to do the same. You know, I made a list of the things that I thought of, and it was probably like 30 things long, you know, off the top of my head. But I don't think we talk about this stuff very often because it feels awkward. It feels like, well, I'm going to show everyone that I'm such a good Christian or something, which is like, ugh. Um, But I want to encourage you, I want to give you all permission today to tell somebody of the kindness of the Lord. And maybe do that with your family or friends um, after the service. Or I'm going to, I did already actually ask Ellen to post something on Facebook. Um, So after the service sometime, she'll post that. And you can use that thread to tell a story. And please don't say, oh, the sun sets. Um, I want you to speak personally. I mean, maybe say, this particular sunset, and it meant this to me. Uh, But please be personal. It will be a gift to your community. Um, And then I only decided to do this this morning, um, maybe partially because I hate the coffee hour because I'm terrible at small talk. Uh, (laughs) But I'd like to invite you, if you're interested, to come downstairs, bring your coffee downstairs, and we'll just have a little circle. And all we'll ask is tell a story, a time that God has been kind to you. And if you are in a space where you have nothing to say about that, Um, you're just angry at God or God seems far off and you can't remember anything, I'd encourage you to come and listen. Um, Maybe it'll just be me and you and I'll just tell you my list of 30 things. (laughs) Um, But let's do that. I want us to share these things because this is one of the ways that we hold one another. And it's tough to do. And it's kind of awkward. So we have to practice it. Like, what we do here in church, when we read scripture, even our high and holy celebrations like Christmas, they are largely exercises in remembering God's kindness, in telling of the many kindnesses of God and letting them carry us through our days, the good ones and the bad ones. In the hard places, sometimes, you know, we can't see God's goodness until afterward, until we can look back at it. And sometimes we actually may never know what God is doing in our dark spaces. This text um, in chapter 64, (laughs) they're grieving the loss of the temple, which is like, I don't think we can imagine that grief. This is the place where they met with God, where they received absolution for their sins, where they... Um, celebrated together. This is where God, this was God's dwelling place and it has been destroyed. This was the evidence that God had come near and made them a people. 
And so in verse 64, or in chapter 64, it's not surprising when he prays, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and oh, how that prayer has been answered. By our God, who is so determined to know us that he did rend the heavens and come down in the person of Christ. and continued to go down into weakness and vulnerability, into the gentleness of love, into suffering, into all of our, um, our pains, continued to go down even to death on the cross, into the dark tomb so that he might bring us back up with him again. Let's pray together. Oh, that we would remember the kindnesses of our God. And Lord, we pray particularly for those people whose lament feels like the only true thing. Lord, may they um, have courage to speak. And may they find your love in the community that holds them up. In memory of your kindness, even if they can't see it now. And in the trust that you work even, maybe especially in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.